Okay, topic four then, which we're going to start this week, and we will continue and finish, God willing, next week. The election of Menachem Begin. So this is a fun topic. I love talking about Menachem Begin. Um, But what we're going to talk about is a very serious aspect of his identity and what it means for the state of Israel when he is elected prime minister in 1977. So I'm going to start us off by talking about the response in Israel and beyond when Begin was elected. Then we'll go back into his history and talk about who he was. I think many people here already know the history, but I'll go through it quickly just to make sure that we're all on the same page. And then talk about what I see as one of the landmark elements of Begin's election, which is the restoration of government by ideology, and particularly religious ideology, in the state of Israel. You go from Ben-Gurion, who was certainly a person of religious ideology, but he governed pragmatically, to, to Menachem Begin, whose philosophy is, if you believe it, that's what you do. The, uh, he, was, he was extremely strong in saying that your beliefs have to translate into the way you run your state, as we'll talk about. So take a look at source number 15. This is from an article from the Washington Post from 1981. Begin was already prime minister, but, um, but he's now campaigning again. The article is called Begin Finds New Political Base Among Israel's Sephardic Jews. Long before the candidate arrives, the young Oriental Jews, by which he means Sephardic Jews, uh, who gather almost nightly for festive campaign rallies, start the haunting sing-song chant that has come to symbolize the remarkable political renaissance of Menachem Begin, while serving as the anthem of a quiet revolution within Israel's largest ethnic bloc. Although private political polls and newspaper samplings show Labor Party candidate Shimon Peres pulling from behind in the last few days of the campaign to within reach of Begin for Tuesday's election, the Prime Minister is clearly the favorite of the noisy summer crowd. Begin, 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 chant the swarthy immigrants. Boy, you couldn't write that today. The, um, or children of immigrants from Morocco, Yemen, Iraq, Syria, Iran, and across North Africa, the Middle East, and West Asia, where Jews have abandoned their ancestral homes to emigrate to Israel. Does that make it sound so innocent? Abandoned their ancestral homes to emigrate to Israel makes it sound like they just put up a for sale sign and said, hey, let's make Aliyah. Right? This is 1981, and this is the Washington Post. And, you know, from their perspective, it's just, you know, this beautiful thing that Jews are just streaming to their land. And they, those, those Iraqis and those Egyptians and the Syrians and the Saudi Arabians are just sad that their Jewish neighbors are leaving. Seriously. Okay. Some strip off their perspiration-soaked shirts in the sultry air as the crowd surges forward against police barriers in anticipation of the arrival of the object of, object of their admiration. Then as a pale man in a dark suit and thick glasses from Brest-Litovsk, also known as Brisk, Poland, mounts the speaker's platform, 30,000 people chant, Begin, Begin, Melech Yisrael. And that's reported in various places. My favorite account up in Yehuda Avner's book, The Prime Ministers, which hopefully people have read. The, um, if you haven't read it, it's, it's just awesome. You have to read it. If you've read it, reread it. The, um, the Prime Ministers. You see it here at the top in number 16. So Yehuda Avner was close with several of Israel's Prime Ministers, most notably to Begin. 
and, uh, and he writes uh, adoringly of, uh, of Prime Minister Begin. So this, look at this account, which he, which he brings from a newspaper of the time. This is from, from 1977, when Begin was elected. Scores gathered eagerly around a television commentator who had thrust his microphone into their faces. So tell us, Marcel, what did you do in Casablanca? I was a bookkeeper. That's an occupation of Kavod. Now I'm a waiter. In Morocco, only Arabs are waiters. In Casablanca, we lived in a big house with a courtyard. Now I, my wife, my three children, my, my mother, my father, all of us live in four ramshackle rooms. Our Kavod has been trampled upon. The Ashkenazi labor bosses did that. And now Menachem Begin is giving us our kavod back. Kavod meaning dignity. Also room to discuss the business about being a waiter in Morocco, Jews and Arabs in Morocco. But the, the Spartan felt and expressed that for the first 30 years of the state, they had been mistreated. They had been discriminated against. And that's a different type of racism than what we've discussed already. But their feeling was that the Jews who had come over from from Eastern Europe, and certainly the Jews from Western Europe, had viewed the Jews coming in from North Africa as being primitive, as being unable to govern. They're not the sophisticated Europeans. I mean, that's not a Jewish story. That's a, that's a global story of the attitude of Europe and the attitude into, of North America to Africa, to parts of Asia. This is not news to us. But their argument was that that was the way they were treated in the opening decades of the state. And Begin made a point of reaching out to those communities. It was ideologically, this wasn't just pragmatic. This was Begin's ideology was to reach out for the underdog. So they, this resonates very powerfully with them, not only with them. He had many Ashkenazi supporters. We're going to see why. But that group in particular is just thrilled. Now I want to show you a group that's not thrilled. Take a look at number 17. Letter to the editor of the New York Times titled New Palestine Party in 1948. This is when Begin forms the Khairut Party. Khairut means... Freedom. So Begin forms the Khairut party. Not everybody is happy to have Begin involved in the political process. As we are going to see, he was a leader in the underground that fought against the British. So look at this letter. This is only a piece of the letter. Among the most disturbing political phenomena of our time is the emergence in the newly created state of Israel of the Freedom Party, Tenuat HaKhirut, a political party closely akin in its organization, methods, political philosophy, and social appeal to the fascist parties. It was formed out of the membership and following of the former Irgun Tzvai Leumi, Eitzel, correct, a terrorist right-wing chauvinist organization in Palestine. The current visit of Menachem Begin, it should say Menachem, the original says Menachem for some reason, leader of this party to the United States, is obviously calculated to give the impression of American support for his party in the coming Israeli elections and to cement political ties with conservative Zionist elements in the United States, and the signatories include Hannah Arendt, who actually wrote the letter, and Albert Einstein, who was a good physicist. The... Um, Opposite views. What was all of this about? Why did Begin arouse such powerful emotions 
Such that, on the one hand, you have the Spartan saying he's our savior, he's giving us our dignity back. And on the other hand, you have a group saying that his party should be compared to Nazi and fascist parties. In 1948, they knew what Nazi meant. This wasn't 70 years later when people throw around terms that they don't really understand. They knew exactly what that meant when they said it. So, what are we, what, you know, why does Bacon inspire these polar opposites? I finally pause. Yes, Marlene. But is that strong enough to get a, a letter comparing them to Nazi and fascist well, parties? Yeah. Right. But Begin's platform does not include imposition of religion. No, no, it, do, it does not. But it isn't a, a, uh, a socialist view of the world. Right. No, Begin was certainly not the socialist that Ben Gurion was. The, uh, he was adamantly not, and we'll talk more about that in what we get to next week. That's for sure true. There is an element of religion to him, which we're going to talk about at length. We'll see that for sure. And what else? Yeah. It still goes on today. There are still people in Israel who lose their prominent positions because of indelicate statements on hot microphones about the, uh, you know, about, you know, whichever group is on the other side of this. So, no, it's absolutely true. It's not, it's not what it was, but, but without a doubt, this is still a concern. Let's go back in history. Let's talk about where Begin comes from. He's born in Lithuania in 1913. Uh, he grows up with a religious Zionist education as well as a classical education. He goes to law school, University of Warsaw. He becomes enamored of Zev, Zev Jabotinsky. He becomes active in Jabotinsky's Beitar movement. And the, Jabotinsky is associated with what's called revisionist Zionism, which promotes Jewish action, wants a complete state, is not interested in giving any quarter to, uh, to foreign governments, um, and they warned, Jabotinsky warns of disaster coming for European Jews. Had, had people listened to Jabotinsky, millions of lives could have, been, uh, could have been saved. Well, Begin flees the Nazi invasion of Poland, and he's arrested by the Russians as an agent of the British. 
and he's sentenced to the Gulag. Germany attacks Russia. At that point, he is uh, he's freed by the Russians, and he joins Polish forces who fight in what is then Palestine. And they uh, and ultimately he's freed from the Polish forces to join the Irgun in 1942 in the underground in Israel, trying to get Jews into uh, into Israel against the British mandate. He's a big supporter of guerrilla activity against the British. He wants to force the British to get out of Palestine. In 1944, Ben Gurion is the head of another Jewish, call it paramilitary organization, called the Haganah, and he tries to work with the British. And he declares the Irgun to be the enemy of the Jewish people. Irgun, Irgun Sva'i Umi, the Eitzel, this Begin's group, to be the enemy of the Jews. And so the Haganah of Ben-Gurion is hunting down the Irgun of Menachem Begin to give them over to the British. Right? Among the most famous incidents of this time is the Irgun's bombing of the King David Hotel in, uh, in 1946, which is a story in its own right that I'm not going to go into only because there's so much to say about it. And, and we have a lot to talk about. But starting in 1948... The Irgun fights alongside the Haganah in the War of Independence. Except, June 1948, the story of the Altalena. Right? What was the Altalena? The ship. What's on the ship? Munitions that are meant for, meant for the Irgun, right? Munitions are being brought in for the Irgun. Ben-Gurion doesn't want it to be brought to shore. And Ben-Gurion orders the shelling of the Altalena. Begin is on shore. Begin is asked, should we fire back? And Begin, what happens? Refuses, right? Begin refuses to fire back. He says, don't fire back. Jews will not, fi- will not fire on other Jews. The, uh, and that's his, uh, that's his decision, knowing full well that Ben-Gurion is firing on his people on the, uh, on the ship. Well, when the state is formed, Ben-Gurion's party, the Mapai, dominate the new government. Um, Begin's party, the Cherut, are in the minority, and that lasts until the, uh, until the 1970s. The platform of Begin's Cherut party includes a commitment to having the entire land of Israel, none of the bargains of trading land for, uh, for peace. They are not fully capitalist, but they're much more capitalist than the Labor Party. They believe in justice for all, and they support society's underdogs, including the Spartan we mentioned, uh, we mentioned before. It's important to recognize, and this is where we're going to be headed with this next week, um, is that um, Begin has a very strong commitment throughout to ideology. And this is what I said in, in starting this you know, 50 minutes ago. Begin believes that if you believe it, then you act on it. He's not into pragmatism. So that's his refusal to fire back on the Altalena in 1948. But take a look at this excerpt from 1952 in source number 18. This is just beautiful. You should read the whole thing. Go to the link, read the whole thing. This is when the Knesset is debating whether to accept German reparations for, uh, for everything that happened in the Holocaust. Of course, the state did go on to accept it, and the argument can be made that that money was crucial in the development of the state of Israel. 
I am not taking a stand for or against. But when you read Begin, you end up being against. There's no way not to be not not to be uh, swayed by his um, by his rhetoric. In the discussion that followed the delivery of that memorandum, the memorandum about the reparations, supporting it, I, Begin, tried to share with all the members of the Knesset the emotional experience that I experienced when I read the following. The memorandum said, There will be no progress in restoring Germany's dignity among the family of nations as long as the issue of reparations to the Jewish people is not settled. See, he says, These words cannot be subjected to any interpretation. They're entirely clear. They state that if the reparations matters from Germany to the Jews are arranged, then according to the opinion of the government of the state of Israel, it will be possible, very possible, to restore the dignity of Germany as a nation among the nations of the world. Right? That was Begin's main opposition. He said, you're forgiving them. You're letting them off the hook because they paid you. Mr. Ben-Gurion, You have scolded in the past a member of the Knesset that went to Berlin, and you said to him, you traveled to Nazi Berlin. Is Berlin a Nazi city, and Bonn not? The fact that Western Germany is a democracy nowadays does not exonerate it from its Nazi past. You may say that Chancellor Adenauer's government is a new German government, not a Nazi one. You should know who Adenauer is. I ask, in what concentration camp was he imprisoned when Hitler ruled Germany? What prison was he thrown into as a result of the bloody regime of the Nazis? I ask, who are Mr. Adenauer's assistants? The answer, half of the employees at his foreign office are members of the Nazi party. And with these people, you are going to negotiate. The Gentiles not only hated us, not only burned us, and were not just jealous of us, but they have mainly despised us. And in this generation of ours that we call the last of bondage and first of redemption, In this generation that we have been privileged to gain back our dignity in which we emerged from slavery to freedom, you are ready for a few millions of contaminated dollars and for impure goods to deprive us of dignity that we have earned. And there's more. There's a lot more. The, um, the, I mean, Begin had that, that, that articulation. Now, it's important to recognize that it does not mean that he was closed to compromise altogether. And the most famous example of that is, of course, the peace treaty with Sadat and Egypt, the, uh, in which he gave back the Sinai. So take a look at Yehuda Avner's account of this in source number 19. This is from an interview with Avner. And we'll close with this, I think. The, um, the interviewer says to Yehuda Avner, Many people blame Begin for being the first to accept the notion of land for peace by signing the Camp David Accords in 1978. So Avner says, no, I think this is a gross misreading of the truth. The peace treaty with Egypt, in Begin's view, was of momentous strategic importance because Egypt is the largest and most powerful and influential of all the Arab countries. There never was a war against us, and I'm quoting Begin now, which Egypt did not launch. And there never was a war that ended without Egypt being the first to pull out. In other words, the key to war and peace of all the Arab states against Israel was always Egypt. And he was determined to break that cycle. And the fact is that he did make peace with Egypt, and that cycle has been broken. But land for peace is now applied to the West Bank as well. In other words, Begin felt that it was different to make this offer. Actually, there was one more piece, which I think I didn't bring in my excerpt, in which he said the argument must also be made that the, the, the land that they gave back, the Sinai, was not part of the historical land of Israel. 
whereas the West Bank was. And I think that's a point that he made in the original piece, which I forgot to include when I did the, uh, the excerpt. I should modify that. But the, um, but the point is that Bacon was an ideologue through and through. And that, as we're going to see next week, is what scares people. They want the pragmatic. They want the person who's going to look at the world and say, we need to make a deal on these points. And they look at Begin and they see somebody who loves his rhetoric and somebody who believes in his ideas and someone who is willing to go to war, literally, on their behalf and to fight against his own best interests on their behalf. And particularly, to go back to what Marlene said, when it comes to religion, this is going to be true as well, as we're going to see in some sources that we'll look at next week. And so what, what, what you get with the election of Begin is not only the rise of the Spartan and not only a decrease in socialism, but what you also get with the election of Begin is a commitment to an ideology which thrilled some and frightened others. So we'll continue with that, God willing, next week. I wish you a Chag Sameach for Shavuot. Next week I want to wrap up Begin and I also want to talk about the immigration of the Ethiopians to Israel and I believe we can actually do it, believe it or not, in an hour. Thank you very much.